AdamandEve.com is the world's number one online source for adult toys. And I'm Horrified is the world's number one source for nightmares, aren't we, Sam? We so are. So, we've joined forces to bring you some sweet deals. Use our offer code HORROR at checkout for 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's H-O-R-R-O-R. AdamandEve.com. We're not horrified at all. never true. Hello. Hi, listeners. Welcome to episode 36 of I'm Horrified. Woohoo! Um, I'm your host, Allie Rayner. And I'm Sam Buntage, who's had a hard day but is doing her best. Oh, yeah. Sam, tell them what happened to you today. Oh, by gosh, By the fate guys. of the cruel gods. Uh, today I was stupid. Um, couldn't I start every story with that? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> No, I'm sure some of you will, like, tweet us and you're like, girl, I've been there. I went to get on the train and... Which we call the T. Which we call the Boston. Yes, the the T to to Bostonites. Um, I went to get on the train, the T, and uh, it wasn't until I was getting off the T that I realized I had totally left my backpack at the station that I had gotten on the T at. And by the time I got back there... It was gone. So yeah. that means, like, my computer is gone. Oh. Like, my, all my makeup is gone. A pair of shoes is gone, which is, like... A pair if, of shoes you had in there? Yeah, I had I my work, my nice work wedges were in there. Oh, no. Yeah. Because I didn't want to... I was wearing sneakers because oh, I was just... Oh, no. Yeah. It keeps getting worse. It does. Everything I tell Allie, she's like, not that, too. I just... I, I feel terrible. <laughs> I feel terribly. But so, um, it's all fine in real life. They're only things. But did I spend a good, I would say, hour and a half crying in public today? I did, you guys. And that's all right. And we lift you up for that. Thank you. That is no less than any of us deserve, <laughs> and honestly. Much, and to, to quote Josh Groban, you raise me up. And, and so do you, listeners. You so know, thank you. That's what we're here to do. Um, so he- we're here not only to raise you up, but to more specifically bring you down. Yeah. Because uh, this is I'm horrified. <laughs> and, and then I'll be back to even, for. which is what I'm looking for exactly, right now. Exactly. So um, let's all get together. Yes. Get ready. I'm so excited to learn about what you're talking about today. Oh, thank you. I'm going to talk about the life and times of Rita Hayworth. Oh, I'm so interested. And I'm really excited to hear about what you're going to talk about, which is... I'm going to talk about... Fire Festival. I have been such a voyeur of all of, like, the tweets and think pieces about this. Yes. But I cannot wait to hear you rip it to shreds. I'm so excited. In the spirit of my TanaCon reporting. Exactly. Well, that way I loved your TanaCon This feels segment. like a continuation. So it is definitely a continuation. I'm thrilled. But first, let's get glamorous. Yeah, we're not there yet. Quick content warning before we start. The beginning of this segment has some sexual violence in it. So just so you know. So when I say the name Rita Hayworth, what comes to mind? I think... Old Hollywood. Right. Glamorous. The beautiful, like, wave of hair. Right. Um, Perfect curled wave yeah. hair. Red. Like, how do you even get it? Yes, auburn. Auburn. Classic color. Long sparkly dresses. Yes. Film noir. Glamour. Long gloves. So beautiful. With bracelets on top of them somehow. Is that how you're supposed to wear it? I never knew. It, it feels right. Right. Um, but how would we know we're both just sewer rats compared to Rita <laughs> So <laughs> true. <laughs> um... But, yeah, I mean, to the world, that is what she was. She was this absolute glamazon, femme fatale, old Hollywood mm-hmm. starlet. Yes. But I'm here to tell you that her life was objectively garbage. No. And I feel so bad for her. Rita, why? So, we should start with her early life, which has some of the darkest stuff in it, I will say. She was born Margarita Carmen Cancino 
in Brooklyn in 1918. Nice. You can see why that name was a problem for Hollywood <laughs> in the 1940s. <laughs> what do you mean? Um, <laughs> so her mother was Irish English. Um, I think she was born in New York. And her father was from Seville in Spain. Um, is that how you say that? I mean, if you want to be like a dick about it, you could be like Sevilla. But yeah, no. Seville. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us should say anything that way. <laughs> I said if you want to be a dick about it. Well, yeah, so he ends up being awful, but that has nothing to do with the people of Seville, and I want to make that very clear. I'm sure they're not fans of him either. So her grandfather, her dad's dad, owned a dance studio in Madrid that was very famous, like world famous, for popularizing the bolero, which is a type of Spanish dance. And you could say that Rita's dad felt he had something to prove in America due to that Mm -hmm. family lineage. So he enrolled her in dancing lessons immediately. She later recalled, quote, from the time I was three and a half, as soon as I could stand on my own feet, I was given dance lessons. I didn't like it very much, but I didn't have the courage to tell my father. So I began taking lessons. Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. That was my girlhood. Wow. So that's fun, right? Spending your childhood trying to help your fragile dad fulfill his empty dreams. Yeah, it feels a lot like that show Dance Moms, which I was a big fan of. Yes. A little (laughs) bit worse, and I'll tell you why. Oh, no. So when she's seven, her dad moves them all to Hollywood Mm -hmm. because he thinks that they can dance in the movies. Like, there's lots of dancing happening in movies. There's lots of chorus girls. Yeah. He thinks that's how they're all going to become famous. And then when she's 12, her dad makes her dance with him as his partner in a duet called The Dancing Cancinos. So they go to, like, Tijuana Mm -hmm. and, like, other touristy spots near the Mexican border with some frequency to dance for tourists there. And this is where it starts to get, like, really fucking weird and terrible. Oh, no. Um, There's an article I found in the New York Times from 1989, um, before the New York Times actually had articles online, obviously, so it's mostly, like, a picture of this article, Mm -hmm. uh, about one of her biographies that was coming out at the time. And the article is titled, What We Have Here is a Very Sad Story. Oh, God. (laughs) Which is very accurate. And it describes the situation this way. Quote, a failure in films because of his poor English, Cancino began taking his daughter Margarita, or Carmen as he called her, out of school to dance as his partner on casino stages in Tijuana. Telling people she was his wife, he dyed the child's hair black, put scarlet lipstick on her mouth, and dressed her in garish, sexy clothes. The, quote, roly-poly 12-year-old obediently flashed her eyes and tantalized. Um, and, like, so that's just objectively terrible, but also I'm not sure why it was necessary to call her roly-poly. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Like, this article continually mentions that she was, like, a fat child, (laughs) and that's part of her insecurity, but, like, I've seen pictures of her in, you know, like, as the Dancing Cancinos, and she's just, like, a normal 12-year-old girl who's not movie star thin. Yeah. Who's not like any 12-year-old woman. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And they're, like... They literally call her fat in oh the in God. the article, and I'm just like, I think they mean it as, like, trying to humanize her, but it's like, 1989, get it together. Oh, Jesus. So, as it's probably become clear to you all during this time in Rita's life, her father was consistently sexually abusing her. God. And I believe other members of her family. And her mother knew about it, but didn't know how to stop it. And so, just imagine this poor girl living with this abuse and having to put a smile on every night and dance for strangers. God knows what happened in those situations, and it's just this terrifying, infuriating situation. So while this was happening, uh, her talent, no thanks to her horrible father, had won her some small parts dancing in movies in Los Angeles. And this is when she meets husband one of five. Oh, yep. (laughs) Edward Judson. He was a 41-year-old car salesman and club promoter. 
And she's... 18. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so yikes. <laughs> he took the reins over her career and pushed her through the door of a lot of auditions and also changed her image dramatically, dyeing her hair into what would become her classic waved auburn. Mm. Um, but he also controlled every aspect of her life, took her money for himself by threat of bodily harm, and pressured in her into sexual acts with producers and directors who could get her foot in the door. God. Um, in Rita's own words, he helped me with my career and helped himself to my money. Because he controlled all of her finances, when she was finally able to get a divorce from him, she was left with absolutely nothing. She had to sleep on a friend's couch, even though she was quickly becoming a movie star. That's so... Such bullshit! God, and it's just such, like, a gross pattern of, like, men in her life yep. just taking advantage of her. And it's like, oh yeah, you can leave him, but you won't have anything. Yeah, you'll have so nothing. So if that's what you want to do, then do that. God. And people are like, why don't you leave him? Yeah. But you know what? At this point, her career was already moving steadily upwards. She had gone from bit to supporting parts and had a seven-year contract at Columbia Pictures. Harry Cohn, the studio head at the time, had worked with her first husband to build her image and, you know, dye her hair and sort of get her an aesthetic Mm -hmm. and put her in more leading roles. Um, And what a shock, Harry Cohn was almost as much of a scumbag as he was. (laughs) (laughs) In the early 1940s, she starred in two films with Fred Astaire dancing as his opposite. One was You'll Never Get Rich, which is fun, and You Were Never Lovelier. Ooh. Ooh. I love that title. I know. I've never seen it. <laughs> um, She started making a name for herself as a sensual, sexy screen siren. Like, her dancing was very kind mm-hmm. of sensual for the time. And this vibe kind of opposed the Ginger Rogers, Debbie Reynolds, you know, all-American wholesome girls yeah. that were most of the leading ladies at the time. Mm-hmm. And so because of this, her photos became really popular, and one photo in particular of her in, like, black negligee became a really, really famous pinup during World War II. Oh, word. So she was known by a lot of people as, like, a pinup Hollywood girl. Mm-hmm. And this really played into her legacy as, like, a sexy screen goddess. In the mid-1940s, her stardom was solidified as she starred in the titular leading role of Gilda in 1946. Mm -hmm. Um, So this femme fatale sex bombshell role basically defined her forever in Mm -hmm. Hollywood's eyes. It was her Hannah Montana, if you will. Uh, The best of both worlds. Yes. And, like, imagine this. A woman whose entire life thus far has been colored and controlled by sexual violence being propped up as this sex pot by the very men who did that to her. So, like, that's where she's at. That's yucky. Um, It's just unimaginable, and it could not be more current, which is something I just kept thinking about, Mm -hmm. you know, um, over and over again while reading this stuff. Also, it's worth mentioning that it was reported, and I don't know if it happened, that they were going to paint a picture of her as Gilda on the atom bomb. Wow. Because she was a bombshell. And she was fucking livid about yeah, that. Jesus fuck. And she wanted to hold a press conference in Washington about how anti-bomb and war she was, but Harry Cohn thought it would be unpatriotic. Oh, God. I'm horrified that they thought painting anyone's face on the atomic bomb was a good idea. Yeah. Like, I, you could be the president who said, yes, let's do this, and, like, still I don't think they should paint your face no, on it. What absolutely not. So during this time, she had moved on to husband two of five, which was Orson Welles, who I'm sure many of you know is a very famous filmmaker, radio Mm -hmm. person, weird dude, weird artsy dude. Citizen Kane, War of the Worlds. Right. Living Um, Given. They, by all accounts, were very in love, but Orson Welles 
was just weird and artsy and distant, so it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. In her own words, she said, quote, During the entire period of our marriage, he showed no interest in establishing a home. When I suggested purchasing a house, he told me he didn't want the responsibility. Mr. Wells told me he never should have married in the first place, that it interfered with his freedom in his way of life. Still, she referred to him as the love of her life, and they had one daughter named Rebecca. So he didn't want to buy a house, but he did want to, like, implant a baby in her? Men, right? <laughs> um, also, I found it so interesting that, so she was in one of him, his films, mm-hmm. and he caused a controversy with her Columbia contract by dyeing and her hair platinum blonde mm-hmm. and cutting it short. And, like, this just keeps coming up again and again and again. Like, the men in her life dyeing her hair. Mm-hmm. And, like, that to me is just such a fucked up metaphor for the controlling, a manipulative, abusive aspects that are happening in her life. And by all accounts, Orson Welles wasn't necessarily abusive towards her. Yeah. Um, he just didn't <laughs> support her yeah. and definitely cheated on her yeah. with Judy Garland. Who did Judy Garland? Who didn't cheat on somebody with Judy Garland? Uh, That's just the way it was. Man. But yeah, it just, it keeps coming up and it's just such a sad, poetic, yeah. terrible thing. So, husband three of five was Prince Ali Khan. So she was like, Grace Kelly's doing it. I want to do it. I don't know when Grace Kelly married that guy. I think it was after her, actually. So Grace Um, Kelly was like, Rita Hayworth's doing it. Maybe. Um, I don't remember. Naturally, as it is today, marrying a prince was a huge tabloid phenomenon. Hell yeah. She was the Meghan Markle of her day. Oh my god. Even though Meghan Markle seems so much happier, so I feel bad. that's real. So they had one daughter together, Princess Yasmina. Um, (gasps) Princess Yasmina. I know, amazing. Um, But soon enough, he became intensely controlling and mean to her, and she filed for divorce on the grounds of extreme cruelty, though not necessarily physical cruelty. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm kind of like, are you just saying that? Yeah. (laughs) Because he sounds like a piece of shit. Um, She actually, like, fled to Lake Tahoe, to get away from him because she was scared that he was going to kidnap their daughter and bring her back to Europe. Um, So they did eventually divorce, and Yasmina, her daughter, remained close to her through the end of her life. So that's like a good ray of sunshine there. Yes. So she had two more marriages after that. One to Dick Hames. Himes? Hames? Who knows? He's a dick. Get it? And one to James Hill. Hames was in debt and also just a general asshole, and she was still embroiled in alimony and custody battles with Ali Khan and Orson Welles at the time. Oh, jeez. In 1955, Hames publicly struck her in the face at a nightclub. What? And that made, like, tabloid headlines and caused her to leave him immediately, thank God. But it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, who does that? James Hill, her last husband, is almost boringly obvious as her fifth husband. He's a Hollywood producer. He's verbally abusive. It doesn't last. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't even know anything else about him. <clears throat> so the other man in her life that I haven't given much detail on that I mentioned before was Harry Cohn, the studio head at Columbia. Mm-hmm. So he was a consistent controlling person in her career, forcing her into contracts that stripped her not only of her money, but of her agency over her own roles. So back then, studios would give actors a salary mm-hmm. and cast them in whatever they wanted. So they'd say, all right, you belong to Columbia for five years, mm-hmm. and we'll use you when we want to use you. And this is your salary. That's it. But Rita Hayworth was an international superstar, you know, in the like mid-40s, late 40s. And he still controlled her every picture and gave her no options. Ugh. So when he died um, in 1968, she said this in an interview. Quote, I used to have to punch a time clock at Columbia. 
every day of my life. That's what it was like. I was under exclusive contract like they owned me. I think he had my dressing room bugged. He was very possessive of me as a person. He didn't want me to go out with anybody, have any friends. No one can live that way. So I fought him. You want to know what I think of Harry Cohn? He was a monster. Oh, good for Which her. is like such a fuck you when he had just died. Yeah. <laughs> good. So yeah, after that, parade of horrifically terrible husbands and managers, sometimes both, mm-hmm. Rita Hayworth was completely broken down before she was even 40. The last decades of her life were consumed by alcoholism and rapidly deteriorating early onset Alzheimer's. Oh, baby. Yeah. So headlines about her became only about public outbursts of anger and scathing opinions on her fall from Hollywood glory. Thankfully, though, Yasmina was just, like, always there with her. Oh. So she became her caretaker and took care of her very lovingly until the very end. That's so nice. I know, I'm crying. So, through it all, the people who knew her best didn't know her as this, like, sexy, glamorous pinup. They knew her as a very shy, kind, yet deeply insecure woman. She was forever in the shadow of the sensual femme fatale that the evil men in her life created out of her. And she was quoted once as saying, men go to bed with Gilda, but they wake up with me. Which I just found so heartbreaking. That's, like, the saddest thing I read. And, like, so much of her life was stolen from her by these, like, ghosts of herself. Like, these characters that she was forced to play, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, from dancing in Tijuana to Gilda to this, you know, like, Hollywood starlet persona that her image forced her to live up to. Mm -hmm. And the saddest part of all of it is that the world erased her. You know, a woman who was, by all accounts, deeply loving and fiercely protective, and through it all, a beautiful performer with this beautiful gift. And the real tragedy, I think, is that she couldn't give that gift to the world in her own way. Yeah. So that is the true bummer of Rita Hayworth. Rita, I'm Who horrified. is beautiful and lovely and didn't deserve any of that. Oh my god. The poor thing. Thank god Yasmina didn't have to live with her shitty father. I know. He sounds like he was terrible. He really does. But, like, they all sound terrible. Even Orson Welles, who was the least terrible, was still terrible. Yeah, still sucked. Every man was terrible. Ugh. The end. (laughs) So true. That's pretty much every story. That's, do you, you have, right? You've listened to, um, You Must Remember This? No. Did they do Rita Hayworth? I think they've done, like, she's been in stories, but just, like, if you're interested in this time period and, like, specifically, like, constant stories of women being controlled by the shitty men and the shitty, like... The golden era of Me Too. Yeah. Like, literally, yes. Like, you must remember this as an awesome podcast to listen to. They talk about a lot of this stuff. But, like, Rita, girl. I know. I just... I always sort of loved seeing pictures of her and clips of her dancing with Fred Astaire. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, what a glamazon. Like, I can't believe she was so beautiful and, like, glamorous. And it's like, no, her life was actually garbage. And she was just forced to put on a pretty smile every moment of every day, which is just the story of womanhood. Oh, my God. All the time. Bringing it back to, like, me today, I was openly weeping on the train. Like, Rita couldn't do that. Yeah. She didn't have the agency to even feel her feelings. Yeah. So when I read about, like, in the later years of her life, she would have really public outbursts. Mm -hmm. And I think one time she got, like, pulled off a plane for, Mm -hmm. like, having an outburst. And it's like, A, she was struggling for mental illness at that point. But it's like, she was just bursting out at the seams. Yeah. Like, she just couldn't keep it all in. Mm -hmm. Like, the poor thing had been through so much. Yeah. And she wasn't allowed to live her life, really. Mm -hmm. And I just, it's, I just feel like she, she was so robbed of 
her agency. And then in a way, it's like, obviously she had this beautiful gift that she, you know, it seems like she did love performing and she did want to share herself with the world, but she just didn't get to do it in her own way. And I think that that's really sad. It really is. Um, Rita. Sweet Rita Hayworth. But I think it's good. Yeah, I think we need to redefine how we think of fame and Mm -hmm. especially women and fame throughout history because, like, how did they become famous? Yeah. Who wanted them to be that way? Who wanted them to have that image? Who wanted them to be that thin or that hair color or Mm -hmm. act a certain way, look a certain way, talk a certain way? Where is that all coming from? Yeah. Um, And I think it's kind of really just now that we're starting to get some unedited versions of womanhood in success. Yeah. You know, like, it makes me think of Miley in a lot of ways. Like, I I made that kind of reference to Hannah Montana, but when everyone was like, what's happening with Miley Cyrus? And I wasn't even really a fan of hers, but I was like, I mean, you go, girl. Like, like, she immediately cut all her hair off, and she was like, I was under contract to keep my hair long and brown for, like, ten years of my life, and I didn't want it that way. And it didn't feel like me, so I'm cutting it off. And I was kind of like, yeah. Yeah. And it's the same with with Britney Spears, when she Mm -hmm. had, like, her very public meltdown in, like, 2007. Apparently... Like, she shaved off all her hair famously, but she was, like, she, like, later commented or, like, maybe even, like, right then commented, like, people are always touching my hair and have an opinion about my hair. So I just shaved it all off because I just want people to leave me alone. Like, don't touch my hair. Don't have an opinion about it. And I was like, girl, like, that's real. That's fucking real. Yeah, that's fucking real. I get that. I completely understand that. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I'm lifting up every successful woman who's had to deal with bullshit. Yeah. And I think it's important to, like, re-examine people who in your brain are just, like, a glamorous person. Yeah. Like, especially if they're kind of from this era bygone. And yeah. so, like, but we shouldn't just hold them as the ideal because, like, what was really happening in their life? Yeah. And what does beauty mean to us? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If beauty is something that people will kill themselves to get to, should it, should we still value it in the same way? Yeah. You know? I think that that's really important to think about. <sighs> Well, I'm exhausted emotionally, and I don't want to think anymore. So maybe (laughs) we should talk about the most mindless collection of humanity that we possibly can. Sam, do you have anything along those lines? Let's talk about a man who really didn't want to think, Billy McFarland. Yay! Uh, Okay, so I'm going to talk about the Fire Festival. And like I said, like, in the spirit of my TanaCon reporting. So it was a music festival that was supposed to happen... The last weekend in April and first weekend in May of 2017. So this was, like, slightly more than a year ago. Really? Already? Yeah. It feels like it was yesterday. I know, right? Um, And it was basically, like, this big, this idea for this big, huge musical music festival. But there's two super important players. Uh, There's one super important and one just, like, hilarious player. The super important player, his name is Billy McFarland. And he was, is 26 now, so he was, like, 25 last year. Yikes. I know. And he was the CEO at Fire Media. And also this company called Magnesis, which was, like, a black card for millennials. Um, what? Yeah, it was, like, a fancy... Because they, they was like trying a to be... credit card? So, okay, we can cut this out, but I did a lot of research into Magnesis. <laughs> no, we're right? not cutting any of it out. So Magnesis was this thing, and it was, like, trying to be, like the black card for millennials and it only existed in like new york city because that was the only place that would like recognize it but it was supposed to be all these fancy benefits but in real life it wasn't a credit card it was just your debit card like magnet strip but on like a fancier looking black card and by like paying 250 a month you got access to like 
concierge ticketing for concert services and like an apartment in Greenwich that you could like go and hang out at. They would host parties and stuff. Like it was supposed to be the access of the card, but it wasn't a real credit card. It was just hooked up to your debit card. So it just, like, was a direct link to your bank account. Yeah. <laughs> that also got you, like, Yelp reviews? Yeah, and, I'm like, confused. you looked fancier because you were paying with this black card. So Magnesis is kind of how Billy McFarlane made a name from himself. He had, like, dropped out of college at 22 to start this company. And he was, and they were going to, like, expand to all these new cities, and it was really fancy. So that's kind of him. And then he starts this company called Fire Media, which he starts with rapper... Ja Rule. What? He's relevant again, is he? <laughs> Just in this. Only in this. So yeah, so Ja Rule, um, this, the song that I most know him from is Always on Time with Ashanti. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's the, like when I was scrolling through his... Ja Rule is legitimately nothing without Ashanti. <laughs> I personally agree. But so they had met because when Billy was like doing press and making connections for Magnesis, like they had become friends. And so they started Fire Media together and it was an app that would let you book live musicians for events, I think. Unclear. It doesn't exist anymore. Big shocker. So Javril and Billy are bros. And they're together in this company, and they're talking about their business, um, but they're also talking about how much they love the Bahamas. So they're like... Yeah, okay. <laughs> so they're like, why can't we combine our interests and have a huge fancy music festival in the Bahamas? I'm just trying to think about how this came up. Do you know what I mean? So like, apparently it was literally like they were on a plane together that had to stop in the Bahamas. And Jabro was like, oh, I love Grand Exuma. It's such a beautiful island. And Billy was like, oh, yeah, it's gorgeous here. And Ja was like, I know, it's so much fun. And Billy was like, we should do something here. And like, that's how it happened. No. And Billy also claims, which I don't believe him actually, but he was like, I only made the website for what became Fire Festival. Um, to, to gauge interest, and then all of a sudden we had, like, sold out and we actually had to do the festival. I don't believe that's true, but that is something yeah, that, that he claims. that sounds really fake. But yes, yeah, so Firefest is born. Fire is with a Y. Important note. Very important. F-Y-R-E. Um, and so they start marketing it. It's going to be a week-long music festival, kind of, so it's two weekends. And then for, like, the week you get to be in the Bahamas, so you're like, it's a vacation and a music festival. And it's, like, they're promising, like... All these really impressive musical acts, like Major Lazer and Blink-182 were signed up, and Ja Rule, in theory. Um, Does he still do music? I guess so. And so it's going to be, like, this such a fancy thing. Tickets were starting as low. If you got, like, the cheapest ticket pre-sale, it was $500, which for a week in the Bahamas all, like, with a place to stay and food is really inexpensive. And then it went up, like... To buy, like, a good package, it was probably $4,000. And then it went up to, if you wanted to be the most luxurious, VIPest, fanciest people at Firefest, it was $250,000. What the fuck? You could buy a house with that. I know, right? And so they decide to move forward with this idea. And then they produce this marketing video for it. And they get celebrities like Kendall Jenner and, like, one of the Hadids is in it. Um, but all these celebrities are tweeting it out and being like, Firefest, man, it's going to be wild. Like, they're going to go. And so for the rest of this video, we're going to play a little game of fact check. We're going to watch the Fire Festival promo video. And I think, Ali, I'm going to have you, like, read aloud what it says on the screen. And then I'm going to pause the video and tell you what really happened. Let's do it. Does that make sense? All right, here we go. So, all right, so we're zooming in on a beautiful island. 
crystal clear. So I, yes, so I'm already stopping because already this is a lie. So it's showing like this cool, (laughs) like the simplest of, uh, you know, cute little plane VIPs are getting on it. Um, And they were supposed to be like chartered, gorgeous planes that would make you feel so special. But in actuality, the lines were crazy long. You had to fly from Miami on these chartered planes and like a ton. It was just a huge clusterfuck. And then when the luggage was dropped off, it was in this huge like cargo shipment thing and like pitch black dead of night they were just throwing bags out and you just had to be there being like where's my bag which is a nightmare less than vip we're continuing there's bella hadid models looking gorgeous music says welcome to fire festival more music two transformative weekends so as soon as Fire Festival starts on the first weekend, it becomes clear that there's no infrastructure and it's not going to work. So people came to Fire Festival and they flew out the next day. <gasps> really? Yeah, it wasn't even one full day, like let alone oh two God. transformative weekends. <laughs> two transformative weekends. It sounds like rehab. I know, right? More, more swimming. More models. Uh, immersive music festival. Okay, you paused again. Yeah. So quick. so let's talk about this the music festival. So, um, Fire was supposed to have, like, these great artists. Um, there's a very funny comment on, like, their Wikipedia page where it's, like, an industry professional who was like, I thought this could be really huge. And then I found out that the artist backing it was Ja Rule. And it would have to be someone like Jay-Z or Kanye to make it work. So as soon as I knew it was Ja Rule, I knew it wasn't gonna work. That's fair enough. And I was like, holy shit. Well, you need somebody with the capital to fix problems if they arose. Exactly. And, like, the thing that ended up happening, which I'll get into a little bit more, but, like, they didn't have enough capital to pay the artists, like, a down payment, basically. So all the artists pulled out. There was not one music artist there. There were no performers? No, they all pulled out. Did they tell them? A couple of them, like, tweeted it out two days before. Like, the it was started on, like, a Friday, and on, like, the Thursday, Blink-182 was like, we're not gonna come. We're not coming. We're not gonna come. We're not confident we can do a good show for you. All right. More planes, people on boats, um, on a remote and private island in the Exumas. Yes. So this was never true, and I don't know why they put it in the video to begin with. Um, they'll go on about this in a minute, which is hilarious, but what it was on was Grand Exuma, which is the what, like, the big island Yeah. that a ton of people are on. Even I've heard of that. Yeah, and there's a lot of resorts there. Um, and it was just in, like, this area that had kind of been flattened to, like, build a new resort but hadn't been built yet. And the, like, Bahamian government was like, yeah, I guess you can do your thing there. But, like, it's just so funny. Like, this is the other thing. Like, Billy was just so full of himself. Like, he could have done this at a campground or at a music venue that has built-in infrastructure, that has, like, bathrooms and places for the lines to go and a catering kitchen. And instead he was like, no, I wanted to build this basically a village from scratch. Right. And I'm going to do it all with Ja Rule. <laughs> I'm going to do it all with Ja Rule, which is what I say to myself every day. All right. Keep the video rolling. More boats. Crystal clear water. Beautiful skinny girls jumping into the water. Speedboats. The best food, art, music, and adventure. Oh, the best in food, art, music, and adventure. 
Yes. Um, so let's talk about the food, art, music, and adventure. Let's talk about it. So they were promised this really fancy um, caterer. I think they're called like star caterers. And they were like, they're like some of the best in the business. But star caterers never got paid. So they pulled out a few weeks beforehand. And when the people actually got there, there were like these like emergency food tents. And when you, you stood in this long line, you got like a styrofoam container. And when you opened it, it was literally, there's pictures of it, like a sandwich that was just two pieces of bread and a slice of cheese Good. and then like a small salad with no dressing. And that was What do was you want? What the, else do you want? The best in food. Oh no. And then yeah, there were like But that's also the art music and adventure. That's it was really <laughs> all of it. The, I mean it was it was an adventure. I'll say that much. Yeah. Um as far as art, there's this one video of a guy who was hired to be like a performance artist and he had made all these fancy masks. To, like, perform art at Firefest, And he was like, it was a disaster. I had to run around the Bahamas finding all my masks. Like, <laughs> oh, no, that poor man. I know, I felt so bad for him. But, like, he still hasn't been reimbursed for, like, all the stuff that he made that to perform there. Thing. And he was like, I turned down three gigs to do the Firefest, And, like... And here I am. Here I am. With nothing. Not even my masks. Uh, <laughs> all right. The video is still rolling. More speedboats. Bikinis. It's basically all the same three things. Yes. Um... Oh, this just says, once owned by Pablo Escobar? Yeah, so like I told you, this was not on a private island at all. So the fact that they're claiming that not only is it on a private island, but it was one owned by Pablo Escobar, who never owned an island in that area, it's like... It's just such a weird thing to put in the promo. Yeah, what a weird flex. <laughs> Honestly. But yeah, that wasn't true. It was just on the big island. Just li- pausing for lies. More swimming. Drums. Now, now there's a little bit of music. This is the only music that's been in, like, the video. DJs. On the boundaries of the impossible. Well, it sounds like that's true. Yeah, so the thing is, this is the one claim that might have been true. So, Billy was going to a bunch of companies to try to get capital to put this on. And when he went to event firms, they were like, okay, this is going to cost about $12 million. That sounds about right. Yeah, and he was like... That sounds like more than it should. And they were like, no, if you're going to promise, like, geodome lodging, all expense food and stuff paid for, all these amazing artists, and you don't have any infrastructure, so you have to build the stages and the bathrooms and the food tents and the, like, it's going to be $12 million. And he was like... Very easily. Yeah. That's a low estimate. And he was like, no, I think that's fine. We'll just do it. So they just, like, moved forward with it, even though they did not have the capital. Their tickets were priced too low. Like I said, you could get a ticket to this for $500. Which is wrong. Which is wrong. But even $4,000, like, is not technically priced high enough to pay for all this stuff. Yeah, it sounds like the kind of vacation only, like, a Kardashian could take. And, like, normal run-of-the-mill Disney vacations cost four grand. Exactly. If not more. Exactly. So, like, the tickets were just, like, way off in pricing. And what he ended up having to do was take out a bunch of short-term loans to pay for everything. Oh, no. And once he did that, he couldn't cancel Fire Festival because he had to pay back these loans. (gasps) So that's why when all the bands pulled out and, like, when it was clear they couldn't afford the lodgings, he was like, we have to keep going. So, like... Because otherwise I'm going to be, you know, a million dollars in debt. Exactly. So, like, he... So literally they were promising, like cabanas and all this stuff and it ended up being like i'm sure you've all seen the pictures they were just like tents and then you could go and get a mattress but the mattresses were all soaking wet apparently no so you were just sleeping in a tent on a soaking wet mattress oh my god for the one night that you were there that's like paying four thousand dollars to be in world war ii exactly (laughs) 
exactly. And like, that's why all the bands pulled out and the caterers because they weren't getting down payments because Billy didn't have any money. And like, no one was willing to give them a good loan because they were all like, this is a shit show. <laughs> like, it's a shit show. Do you remember when we told you this was going to cost $12 million? <laughs> yeah. We meant it. It was, it was gonna. All right. Rolling tape. More swimming. Enough already. We get it. There will be boats. Oh, there's a pig. There was like a little island pig. Yeah. All right. Now it says fire is an experience and festival. So it was an experience. That's fair enough. The people who got to Firefest, they had paid most of them probably around like the $4,000 mark. Some of them got away with these cheaper, like way early bird special tickets, but most of them had spent a couple thousand dollars to get there. And in theory, to have the evening, um, they had also all been given, you know how like at Disney now they have the Disney bracelets? Yeah. And it's like, that's all your money and you just need to scan it. They were trying to do that for Firefest too. So like all these people just had these Firefest bracelets and they hadn't brought any cash with them. So once no. they were stranded on the island, like they couldn't even go and do anything. <laughs> To try to get themselves off. Oh my god. There's a lot of beautiful resorts on this island that many people tried to check in and into, but all the resorts were sold out. So there was nowhere to stay. They had to stay in the shitty tents or in the airport. The airport couldn't get them in, so they ended up locking a bunch of them in a room together. Like a sweltering hot room, they put a padlock on it, and <gasps> one girl passed out in the room. Oh my god. Yeah, because the the poor, like, airport and government of the Bahamas was like, what the fuck do we do with these people? Why did you bring these, like, swelteringly (laughs) hot white children? Yeah, it was just like, and so, like, there is a lot of YouTube videos of, like, I survived Firefest, like, people actually there, which is pretty funny. But it's just like, it was this nightmare experience for people having to, like... (laughs) Oh, this was something else that cracked me up. So originally you were supposed to like get off the plane and check in and then stuff happened that night. But instead, when people would get off the plane, the staff would be like, okay, you're going to an impromptu beach dance party because they didn't have anything ready and like they didn't have food or shelter. So people so were like, dance okay, in the cool. sand. So just, okay. And then when they were like, no, I want to go to my room. They were like, well, that's the thing. You don't have one. Because we never built it. Yeah. And colloquially, another story that goes around is that a lot of people, like, um, took X or dropped acid right as they were getting off the plane. Because they were like, here I am. It's going to be wild. And then it was wild. And so then they were high as a motherfucker as they were, like, locked in an airport. No! Or sleeping on a wet mattress. (laughs) They were like, I can't imagine what a nightmare that would be. That sounds wild. I, I would be full crying if I somehow found myself in this situation. Like, honestly, like, if I can't find a cab quick enough to get to my hotel, I'm just, like, I have very bad flight anxiety, so I'm just weeping. Like, yeah. I'm just immediately weeping. So imagine if you had faced that flight anxiety, and then they were like, here's your tiny tent and your wet mattress. But again, it's, like, it's funny because, like, this is a horrifying situation, but, like, I'm sure that these are the most privileged brats in the whole universe. Like, yes. anyone who would buy a ticket to Fire Festival probably deserves it, but then, like, then again, no one deserves it. Yeah, this. it was just, like... Except for maybe Ja Rule. Oh my god, it was so a nightmare. <laughs> All right, we're gonna play so, the rest of the commercial. Yeah, we're swimming. That's most of everything. I mean, we can just kind of play it out. But like, this video was considered like one of the most successful marketing campaigns literally ever. Like, branding offices were like, "This was genius." Are that you they did serious? This. Yeah, because because they got Kendall Jenner to tweet it. Like, people were ri- literally like, "Wow, this is all just such bur- bullshit." Like, a quest. To push beyond the boundaries. Like, what does that even mean? They're just on jet skis. Yeah, they're just on jet skis. And there's so little of people performing, also. I find it very funny. Limited availability. (laughs) 
So it was just a disaster. It was a disaster. Billy McFarlane called it the worst day of my life. Um, he and Tana must, like, want to get married. I bet they do. Um, But, I mean, he was sentenced to six years in jail, so it's going to take a really? while. Yeah. Well, because, like, all the pl- people that he had not paid for services rendered sued him, obviously. And, like, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm sure it's, like, white-collar jail and it'll only serve a couple years and blah, blah, blah. But, like... Yeah, so he's had to sell his credit card company, Magnesis, to, like, try to get himself out of debt. He's not out of debt. Fire Media is totally fucked. Like, that doesn't exist anymore. Ja Rule seems to be fine. He tweeted out just, like, it is not my fault. Um, Sounds like Ja Rule. And it feels like he has But then again, I'm glad he got out unscathed. It's so clearly Billy McFarlane's fault. Yeah, it's definitely all him. He was definitely told from the beginning, like, you can't do this. You should wait a full year and do it next year. And, like, Tana was like, no! Exactly. Just like Tana. Um, uh, Hubris is the downfall of humanity. So true. Especially in this case. Yeah. But so, that's Fire Festival. I love nothing more than researching these failed, like, events. Yeah, it's, um, I am fascinated by it. And so, like, I still want to talk about DashCon, the Tumblr convention. Wow. I want to talk about Woodstock 99, where the Red Hot Sweet Peppers caused a fire. <gasps> like, I just <laughs> you, can't You're wait. glowing right now. Like, you're glowing like you're pregnant, but you're just pregnant with all these ideas. Exactly. about terrible failed events. That's, that, I am pregnant with that. So, <laughs> um, this is just, like, a call to the people. Like, if you know of a convention or a festival or any other, like, huge thing that was just a total disaster, I'm begging you to tweet it to me. Please tweet it to us. Because, like... I want to cover it all. We want to do it. We want to do it for you, fuckers, all right? Yeah. We want to bring this this garbage to you. Yeah. Every it, Monday. It also, it makes me feel good because I plan a lot of events in my job, so when yeah. I read stories We're both like event this. Planners. Yeah. When I read stories like this, I'm always like, I'm not so bad. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I forgot to bring extra name tags to this event. Whatever. Not the end of the world. I didn't strand a bunch of children <laughs> on a beach somewhere with no food. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Love it. That's Fire Festival. I am horrified. Ugh, I feel rejuvenated, though. I do. After, like, how shitty Rita Hayworth's yeah, poor life was. Yeah, how truly sad. Um, I feel good to learn about Billy McFarlane's shitty life. Yeah, and it's kind of like, at least you didn't die, you know, <laughs> when you were eating cheese and bread. Yeah. And sand, probably. Yeah. you didn't have a table to eat it at. <laughs> Lol. <sighs> well... I feel good. Do you feel better? I do. I feel, I had a hard day, but being here with you, Allie, and with you listeners, for real, like, this has gotten me, like, I got out of bed to do this research, I dried my eyes, I drank some water, like, right. thank you guys for being here for me on this hard day. Yes, you pull us out of very real depressions on the da- on a daily basis, mainly sometimes because I just, I need to tweet something. <laughs> Amen. And, you know, it's like, I can't be that, I can't stay mad when you guys are liking our tweets, so. Yeah, thank you guys. You guys are a true gift to us, and, um, and on that, on that high note. Yeah. Um, we hope this week you stay horrified. Stay horrified. Stay horrified.